If you enjoy these speakers, please consider joining many of them at the annual OA Birthday Party Convention this January 12th through 14th at the LAX Hilton in sunny Los Angeles. This event includes a big book workshop, speakers, marathons, and panels with OA members from around the world, many with over 20 years of abstinence. Registration is just $45 through Thanksgiving. The LAX Hilton is a four-star hotel and the OA rate for up to four people per room is just $127 per night. There is a hotel shuttle so you don't even need a car. If you're interested, please visit oabirthday.com for further details. Hi, my name is Alice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm so glad that I get to stand because I look thinner when I stand. <laughs> That's the truth, right? I was worried about that. I'm like, gosh, I should they're dumpy like that. Because then I turn do that, like my grandmother, and I was going to ask somebody just, you know, to do this. <laughs> so uh, I understand I'm being recorded, so I'm not swearing today. <laughs> just promising that. And thank you for that wonderful definition of your abstinence. Um, we're all so different in here, and yet the, the miracles abound. So to qualify, I have been, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since 2003, but really my abstinence started in 2004 when I just surrendered. And um, so as of April, I had 13 years of, ex- of experience. Really, more than that, but 13 years of abstinence um, and a 100-pound, 108-pound today uh, weight loss that I'm maintaining. So I'm so grateful for that. I kind of feel like I could drop the mic. Like, that's it. If you're a compulsive overeater and you hear somebody say I've maintained the same weight for 108 pounds without doing the things that I used to do to maintain my weight, that's a miracle in itself. I, You know... You don't know it, but I'm wearing shorts underneath my dress. And I've had these shorts for probably seven years. And I take them out in the summer and I put them on. And it never even crosses my mind that they won't fit. And I consider that an incredible amount of recovery. I love when I had to sign all of this paperwork. It made me, in a sense, self-qualify again. And not only am I a 100-pounder, which I am, I am also um, a bulimic. I'm a laxative bulimic and an exercise bulimic. I do not vomit willingly, but I'm always relieved when I do. And then, um, you can only say that in these rooms, you know, but I would do anything not to own the food that I ate. I'm also an anorexic, and and I say that, but really, I was an anorexic because I was on speed all the time. So when you're on speed all the time, it's easy to be an anorexic, right? But I can remember, like, that anorexic thinking. So here's the thing that I think, well, if I'm really hungry and I can feel my stomach is rumbling, I am losing weight. That's a sign that I'm losing weight. I'm just going to. I'm just going to love this feeling that I'm starving because it means I'm losing weight. And the other thing that went along with that was I'm just going to lay here all night long and not get any sleep because it's resting and that's the same thing as sleeping. So that's a great way to live if you're not sleeping and you're not feeding yourself, right? Like, oh my gosh. So, and I, and I was thinking about that this morning too as I was, I was driving over here and I got to eat in the car. I love to eat in the car. And um, so I was eating in the car and I was so like agitated I was so nervous and caffeinated and worried. Y'all are so pretty here. <laughs> right? It's not to say they're not pretty in Santa Clarita, but you guys are really pretty here. And so, uh, so I was nervous about making a good impression because, of course, beauty 
beauty means that you're fill in the blank, right? Like sometimes there's this inherent value in being beautiful or being tall or being educated or making money. It's like that. I've learned here that those are really not values. Those aren't markers. Those are those. That's life. That's life lived. So, um, so I was worried. I was worried, and I was in fear because, of course, I'm a fear-based creature. And then I ate, and oh, I felt so much better when I ate. Right? That's my abstinent food. I, I felt much better after I ate. Whoo! And I felt confident. And and it, it's a sign that food does still work. Right? Even in moderation, food affects my body. But also, it just kind of shows me how um, I, I need to nourish. I need to be nourished. I need to nourish my body. I need to nourish my mind, my soul, most of all, my soul. And so, I don't use food to do that anymore. The world is full of just delicious things for me to absorb and, and be fed by spiritually. And that's really kind of part of my food plan today is that I seek things that are for me beautiful. God didn't tell me to live your life. He told me to live my life. And so my life is about discovering those things that really keep me spiritually filled and nourished. So that being said, I do have, I do want to tell you a little bit about my abstinence and my food plan because I know that was really important when I first walked into these rooms. Um, and, and it's changed since I've walked into these rooms, but my abstinence has not. It is three meals and two snacks if I need them. No recreational sugar, no deep fried foods. And um, I love to, so this should qualify me uh, as a compulsive overeater. It's the deep, I mean, sugar, of course. I love candy. I, I just love anything with sugar in it. I had candy all over. I had candy in my pocket, in my pockets of my bathrobe. I had candy bars in my refrigerator, in my desk at work. I didn't keep them in the car because that's why I have my cigarettes. But <laughs> I, right? like I just had candy all over and cigarettes all over. Like, I was just always, I didn't know what you did with your hands if you weren't, like, doing this. Or so, um... But, so, the sugar is, the, I mean, I think that's almost universal in these rooms. I, I don't know too many people who handle sugar very well. But it's the deep fried foods, man. Like that crunchy, fast food, drive through tacos and onion rings and spring rolls and that kind of stuff just would take me out every time. And that was my experience was, you know, in between the three normal meals I had, I would be driving through someplace and getting fast food that was deep fried. And, well, actually, I would, I would order it like at, Okay, so for me, I love Jack in the Box. And I would get their monster tacos, or just their regular tacos, two for 99 cents. I'd order six, because I can eat six tacos, and a big pack of the spring rolls, and a cheeseburger with no lettuce, because lettuce is a waste of time. <laughs> and I would put next to me, so I'd like pull through, because, you know, God forbid I should expend 25 calories on my way to a binge and a Diet Coke. And I'd like, pull through. And I get my food, and I put it on the seat next to me, and I just pull up to the end of like the street, right? And I unpack the food, and I open it all up so that it could cool. And then I take the burger because the burger was already cool, and I'd eat that while that food cooled. And then I'd start in on that, and then I'd go home and fix dinner for my family. And that's how I ate, and that's who I am. So there, enough said. That's my mic. <laughs> Okay, so my sponsor said, I said to my sponsor, oh, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous, it's okay. And, um, but aren't we brave? I mean, really? Aren't we the bravest people on earth? Because we have this head. 
Like this head has 13 years of recovery, and I know people in here who have a very similar head. And we get up in the morning and we kind of put a shine on it and walk out bravely into the world and accomplish things and help in any way we can, all the while being saddled with this deadly disease. I mean, I take my disease very seriously. It's deadly. It will kill me. That's its chief objective, is to kill me. And so I do what I need to do first thing in the morning to hopefully stay abstinent this one day. Thank you, God. You know, so far, so far, so good. One day at a time. So I told my sponsors, I'm kind of worried about leaving the meeting. I really, after 13 years, it's not so much about the food. So much. I mean, I've been disciplined to, I eat the same thing a lot. And and really, I, that's being generous. Like, I eat the same thing all the time because it works for me. It just, you know, if it works, somebody says in these rooms, if it worked yesterday, it's probably going to work today. And I'll just do that again because that's what works for me. So my food plan is, um, you know, I try to keep, I, try, I measure most of my foods. I do, I measure my foods. Um, I don't measure salsa, that kind of thing. But it, I try to keep it, you know, 1,200 to 1,250 calories a day. I have my uh, starch usually in the morning. Um, I have protein and vegetables, like at lunch and at dinner. That's not a lot of meat, um, but, I, I, but I like meat, but it has a lot of calories. It's expensive, you know. So, I mean, that's kind of it. Mostly protein and vegetables with my starch in the morning. My biggest meal is in the morning. It's 500 calories. I have this brick that I eat. That's why I got to eat it in the car. It's made of oats and egg whites and any fruit, but I like pumpkin. You can see my palms are kind of orange. I, so I've been eating it. Oh, my gosh. I have, like, you know, five years supply in my pantry because it was on sale. <laughs> so, um... So, I, so I'm bound to eat that. <laughs> finish that. So, uh, so that's how I eat. And if I if I need a snack, then um, I have to text that into my sponsor. I report my food the night before, along with my tenth step. And if there's any deviation, I tell her what that is. And typically, there isn't a, a reason for me to deviate because I'm working my program and I'm trying to keep my life manageable and that means I look at the 24 hours ahead and plan on where I'm going to be and who I'm going to be with and do I need to bring it with me or can I purchase it there so I'm becoming the robot that I was worried about so I take my food with me a lot of places and um, I'm also a baking addict I just have to say in terms of a miracle I really love to bake I'm a very good cook that is a, an asset that morphs into a character defect, right? Like, really quickly. I have this wonderful gift of cooking and baking and entertaining and decorating and Martha-ing. And, um, and that, I mean, that just spirals out of control, spiraled out of control. That was one of the chief components of my step one you know, admitted I was a compulsive overeater. I admit I am a compulsive overeater, right? Check. Uh, and my life had become unmanageable. Well, that was kind of hard to swallow, that my life was unmanageable because I was managing a lot. But that's the problem, right? Because I really have no business managing a lot. I can manage me. I can manage my little space right here. But, you know, I that quickly um, and over the years had morphed into real unmanageable life. And, and I had to admit that um, my life was unmanageable, that nobody really liked me, that um, my really nobody really liked me, and that I was 263 pounds. And so when I walked into these rooms, which sounded so derelict, like I didn't want to be a compulsive overeater, 
that just sounded so fat. And I didn't want to be fat. And, uh, but I, I was fat. So, whoo. Uh, so my sponsor said, there we go, stop telling stories. Because I'm so dramatic, and I tell stories, and I make up stories, and I infer stories, and I um, elaborate and embellish stories, and I, right? Like, I'm full of stories, and I, at least, once a, once a week, at least, she's, I'll say to you, oh, I'm worried about this, because this is going to happen. She goes, you are making up stories. I'm making up stories. Like, in my head, it's all about, but I like stories, and I like to read books, and I like to watch TV, and I like stories. So, anyway, I, that's... Uh, again, that could morph easily into a character defect because I, I'm not living in the reality. So um, she said, stick to the steps and the tools. I'm like, okay, I'll stick to the steps and the tools because that's all I know. And that really is all I know. I get up in the morning and I do my work. Uh, this this program, um, if there's any, I, I'm, I mean, nobody checked in as a newcomer, but if you are a newcomer, this is where the hope is. Like, it just took me one day of abstinence against all of my firm belief that it was ridiculous, that I couldn't do it, I didn't need to do it, it wasn't worth it, it was stupid, and it wasn't going to happen, and I couldn't, 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 couldn't. One day, one day was all it took huh, to change my mind. And that's what this program has been about. It's changing my mind over and over and over and over and over. Because as I, now 13 years in, I'm different. Everything's different. The people in my life are different. Although, you know, I still have the same marriage and I have the same children and I still have the same career and everything seemingly looks the same. Everything is evolving and everything is changing. So it took that one day where I... And here's what happened was the next day, and I can remember this, I woke up and I heard, it took me a while before I committed to being abstinent, right? I was in these rooms for a long time listening to people and kind of identifying with people. And a lot of what I heard was the disease is going to lie to you, the disease is going to lie to you, the disease is going to lie to you, lie to you, lie to you. And I didn't know what that meant, right? And then I heard a lot about, I'm so ashamed, I feel so ashamed, I feel so ashamed. And I thought... I kind of started to see that that was true and that even though we were all very different, we had very similar grooves running in our head. And so I remember that first day, I, ah, it was such a miracle, it just gives me goosebumps. I woke up and I got out of bed and I heard the voices. I heard the voices. I heard my disease saying, what are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? Let's just go out because, you know, you can't do it. That's ridiculous. You're going to eat again. You're going to eat again. What are we going to have? What's for breakfast? Where's the bakery? Where's, you know, and I just, I like heard those voices and I thought that was truth. And then I just realized they too, they too, they too. It's a lie. I can do it. I can't do it alone. I can't do it without God. And I can just remember it was like, it was like, I just dropped something behind me, you know? Like it just was back there. And that's 13 years, four months ago. And I am not perfect, and I don't do it perfectly, but I do it. I do it. So I did it this morning. And I, um, I guess this is a good thing, a good time to maybe talk a little bit about using the tools. The first, so I'm on about my eighth tool right now, and it's, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> my experience has been that the number of tools I use during the day, kind of from a, from a scale of one to ten, 
directly correlated to how many tools I use. And 10 means I've used one twice. Or maybe, you know, another one three times, right? The more tools I use, the better my day is going to be. And so for me, and this is not for everybody, I happen to be a morning person. I happen to be a morning person. I get up very early in the morning. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to not believe me, I get up at 3.18 every morning, which sounds ridiculous. But I'm out the door at 6.30. I have to be out the door at 6.30. So I'm kind of on East Coast time. So I get up every morning at 3.18, and I drink coffee. That, that should be a tool. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, so I, have, so I have coffee. And then... I sit down. I sit down with my meditations. I have four books of meditation. I, I read at least two of them. And I, open, and I am in the literature. So I go to two, uh, and I take service commitments. So um, I'm in the literature on a regular basis. And at home right now, I'm working on uh, in the AA 12 and 12. I mean, I just go back and forth in those books. I just go through those books. And the way that my sponsor and I work it, it's one paragraph at a time, right? One paragraph at a time. I read that paragraph. How do I relate to that paragraph? And the miracle is 95% of the time, that's exactly what God wants me to see on that particular day. Yesterday, I opened it up. It was the St. Francis prayer. Wow. So I used, so and here's how I use the tools. I, I, saw, I knew it was going to be the St. Francis prayer because the, prayer before, the paragraph before that prefaced it is talking about this saint, and I'm like, I don't like the St. Francis prayer. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. There's a lot, host of reasons why I just never really got into the, saint, the, the 11th step prayer. And so I knew it was coming, and I, and I just, you know what, I just kind of closed my eyes. I said, God, you're going to have to help me with this because I, I am, um, what's that term, contempt before investigation, right? <laughs> like, I'm just hating it before I even open it. Oh, I said that the day before. Like, I read that paragraph, and I'm like, I don't like that prayer. And I said, you're going to have to help me with this. And, you know, of course, God tells me, so then your action step for the day, your action plan for the day is to go online, look up Wikipedia, who the heck was St. Francis, right? Who is this guy? Why did he write that prayer? What was that prayer about? So that's what I did. And you know what? I went back the next day. I, I get it, man. I mean, and that was the first time in 13 years that I've read that prayer and, and really felt like that was something I aspire to. I want to be that person who walks in vulnerable and honest and eyes open and just radiating a love that comes from God. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be right now. I mean, if there's any other message is that this program leads us to God and God is full of love and forgiveness and good ideas. So I, uh, so I read that prayer. I felt so wonderful. I felt so so fabulous. <laughs> it's about self-forgetting, and I was feeling great. It's, um, that's, that's it, right? I mean, that's what I'm fighting all the time. Is It's like in this book called The Screwtape Letters. Thank you. The, uh, the devil says, so your subject is feeling pretty uh, humble lately. Have you pointed that out to her? <laughs> Gee, I'm feeling really humble lately. Thank you. Um, but, but it helped. And I read the prayer, and that's where I want to be. And that's the kind of growth that happens, is that every time I go through these steps, so now I'm on step 11, 
it's been exactly where I need to be. I go to, so, okay, so there's my prayer, there's my meditation, there's my writing, and of course I call up my sponsor and I take my sponsee calls and I read that. I go for a walk in the morning, I water my roses in the morning. That's an action plan for me. I love my roses so much and they love me back. And um, that fills my soul. It's delicious. And then I, uh, so I go to three meetings a week and two of them are studies. One of them is a big book study, one of them is an OA 12 and 12 study and I what are the other two what am I missing here plan of eating I explain my plan of eating I make outreach calls I take outreach calls I hate to take outreach calls but I take it anyway because I you know that's my disease I don't hate outreach calls I like outreach calls because I get to feel like the boss when somebody calls me for advice but you know my disease tells me that I hate it oh you hate that call you're really busy right now really because I'm reading Okay, so I, t- so I take the outreach calls. I, uh, so plan- anyway, I think let's look on the information sheet. Plan of eating, sponsorship, meetings, telephone, writing, literature, action plan. There we go. Bam. That's what I do. One day at a time. I work. So service. Service is its own reward. Being here today is a service, but you know what? It got me up and out of bed. Doing my work, getting here on time. Service, I take service commitments at meetings because I have to, because I don't want to go, and that's the truth. I don't want to be a compulsive overeater, even though when I think about it, really, I mean, I have a connection spiritually to God that I, I never even imagined was possible. I have friends beyond my wildest dreams. I have a fellowship. People get me, right? The only like, you know, like my dog gets me, but that's kind of it. Like, nobody gets me. I go to work, and they've never known me fat, but I'm fat. Like, in my head, I'm a fat person. They've never known me fat. They don't know who I am. They don't know, they don't know anything about me. I can't, I mean, I tell my sponsor things before I tell my husband things. This fellowship has never, ever let me down. I've gone through marriage crises. I've gone through children who just... I hope so my son did eight tours in the military and I brought it here man right like I come in here and I'm vulnerable and I'm open and that's so hard for me and that's what we do I, I we bear witness to each other's pain that is such an honor when I'm with somebody who's, who's talking about a struggle that they're having, real or imagined, it's still a struggle. When I'm struggling, when I'm in pain, we just stand here and bear witness to courage. We're so brave to be here at this hour of the morning so that we can walk through this one day and come to the end of it abstinent. That's why I'm here. So, am I done? No? Yes. Two minutes? Oh. Uh, I'm done. Thank you for letting me go. This is the time for questions only. Oh, there's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself if being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it's being asked. And then we'll stop at 9.35. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) He liked animals. (laughs) And he was canonized by the Pope. (laughs) And I think it was somewhere in Italy.
That's it. That was good enough, right? I did it. I didn't say that I had to remember it. I did it. <laughs> Which is a character defect in itself. Next. Smarty pants. How has program changed my ability to deal with unpleasant people? <laughs> Is that it? Thank you. That's a really good question. And and really, this I, I mean, having been an unpleasant person and sometimes still being a pleasant person, this program has just reminds me that uh, you know I'm I'm nobody special and that there are a lot of unpleasant people in the world and sometimes I am one of them and so one tool that I have is my 10 step inventory if somebody annoys me I can always I and I do actually I, when I'm at work and I'm at my desk I have my template ready and I get in there and I pound out my resentment about a person and then I always have to look at my part like what's my part it's why is somebody is, is, are they are they saying something that I just don't want to hear or are they really just off their rocker I mean if they're off their rocker it's a lot easier for me to forgive them than if they're actually saying something that's true and I need to hear and then I have to do the work that goes with that um, when people are closer to me when there are people in my circle um, because you know we're very fortunate we have a program we can wake up in the morning and kind of get our heart right so that hopefully that's going to move up to our head and we're going to walk through the world not having to be noticed, not needing to be in charge of anything. That helps a lot with the unpleasant people, right? Because sometimes people are unpleasant in retaliation for the way that I'm behaving, so I have to be aware of that. But truly, if there are annoying people, okay, like bad drivers and my pet peeves are, okay, my pet peeves, if you're retired or you don't work, then you shouldn't be in the supermarket after 5 o'clock at night. <laughs> right? What are you doing here? Take your kids and they're screaming and they're hungry. Get out. Go, I mean, like, old people. I'm 59 years old. Come on. Old people who are just kind of slow and walking down. I was like, in the market at 6 o'clock at night. That's one of my pet peeves. So when I run into that stuff... <laughs> I have scheduled my, my day too tight. If somebody is annoying me because I'm impatient, it means either I've had too much coffee or I've scheduled my day too tight. That is my fault. That's my fault. So I have to take a step back and remember that it's my fault. One of the, well, there are a couple of things that I learned when I first came into the rooms before I even got abstinent. One was, I am the problem. I'm the problem. Most of the time, if I'm annoyed, it's me. I'm the problem. And so I, I put like a sticky note up on my bathroom mirror. You are looking at the problem. I am the problem. Me. And it's true. Uh, most of the time, I'm the problem. Uh, and then I also have to, and I still, I still, how about this? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be thinking wrong. I could have a whole platform of wrong that I'm standing on wrong I have to be willing and open-minded to think about my perspective constantly because I could be wrong about something people places things okay Is that... go ahead no my problem is but I mean 
doing this craziest thing. It's like, for example, have you ever gone from this experience? Like, okay, you can have this top white jack in the box, but that means you have to stay out so that you cannot have this. But okay, you can have that, but you're going to really promise yourself you're going to be absent to not have that if you have that second top one. So, Sure. Sure. So the question is, do I have any experience negotiating food values in my head? Yeah. I have a lot of negotiating experience in my head. And especially, you know, before I walked into the room, well, so I'm going to eat a really healthy breakfast. And then if I'm good, then I'm going to have a tamales for lunch, right? I'm going to let her rip. And then I'm going to have a salad for dinner or something equivalent to that, that somehow that's good. So first of all, I have to, so I could be wrong. I could be wrong about what's healthy, right? Because healthy to me was like brand muffins. Those aren't healthy, right? And then if I'm good, like what is good? That's a whole nother hour in itself. What's good? Who says what's good, right? I just need to be enough. I, I, I don't need to be anybody's idea of good. I want to be, but, you know, God, again, you just live your life. Don't worry about them. Um, But what has helped me with that, I don't negotiate anymore because I commit my food to my sponsor. I map it out. I go to my website, fatsecret.com, and I put in there what I'm going to eat in measured amounts, and I measure it out the day before, and I tell my sponsor that this is what I'm going to eat, and I have my little pack with the ice cube, and I eat what I say I'm going to eat. And there is no negotiation. There's no reason for negotiation, and that is huge. Because if I'm thinking, what am I going to have for breakfast, and then while I'm eating breakfast, I'm thinking about dinner. That's a problem. Like, I'm not focusing on my clients. I'm not focusing on my family. I'm not focusing on the things that I need to do because I'm worried about, am I hungry? Because I think I'm hungry. See, so now I know what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to eat and where I'm going to be. That helps a lot. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of answers ago, you made fun of yourself. And uh, when you were pre-12 steps, did you know that some of the things you were doing were silly and slash wrong, but couldn't do anything about it? Or did you not know that they were silly slash wrong? That's such a loaded question. So the question is, did I make fun of myself before I came to program? Did I, did I see my behavior? No, I didn't see my behavior. I, I, I really was not self-aware, let alone self-actualized. And I do still in a sense, make fun of myself. I, hmm, I don't, you know, if I, if I were to be perfect, see, that's not possible, right? Um, and, and the truth is, for me, so I have 20 years of a violent and abusive alcoholic telling me how bad I am, how wrong I am, how ashamed I should be of myself, how I'm doing it wrong, and right? I have 20 years of that in my head. It's not all going to go away. He died. I'm not saying it. He passed away last year, and I still hear his voice in my head. So the question is, am I, ever, am I going to be rid of that? I don't think so. And, and I don't want to... I don't want to negate my trauma, right? Because if I say that in front of you, maybe somebody else in here feels that same way. And doesn't see it as wrong. Like if I, I think that our shared experience being imperfect is what binds us together. I'm really damaged, right? I'm really damaged. I, 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 I am fragile, 
physically and mentally. I mean, I, I bruise really easy. I'm a very fragile, imperfect human being. And if I ever have a day where I think I'm all good, that's a problem. My experience in OA and the reason I keep coming back is because you accept me when I say those things. And somebody will say to me, don't talk, to, don't talk about my girlfriend like that. Don't talk about my friend like that. Don't say those things about my friend. And I will say the same thing to you if you are putting yourself down. Don't talk about my friend like that because that's just not true. Or maybe I'm having a bad day. Anyway, so does that answer the question? Like, I think we all have a shared experience of, of trauma. Yes. Thank you. I'm so what? With sponsees? The question is, how do I work with sponsees? <laughs> it's changing how I'm working with sponsees. The truth is, okay, so the truth is that I only have one sponsee right now. I'm open to another sponsee. I have to limit the amount of time because I have, an, I mean, with uh, I don't even like to put a value on it. I have a really big job. And so I leave the house at 6.30 in the morning. And um, so I can sponsor in the morning, but most people don't want to be up that early and call me that early, you know? Like 10 or 15 minutes at 5.55 in the morning. That just, and I get it. I mean, I don't blame them at all. And at 5 o'clock at night, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. At 5 o'clock at night, I'm done. I'm thinking about dinner. I'm thinking about 32 ounces of zucchini and a morning star patty and taking off my makeup and bra. I'm done. (laughs) So, you know, somebody calls me in the morning and says, oh, my gosh, I've been daydreaming about cheetahs. I'm like, well, let's think about this. Let's examine this. You're doing great. You're a miracle. That's your disease. And at 5 o'clock at night, I'm like, well, go ahead and eat it. You know. (laughs) I got nothing. I got nothing. So with my sponsees, I do the same exact thing that my sponsor has done with me. And that is we are in, we, so I speak to them four days a week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We have those morning calls. Saturday and Sunday, it's a check-in day. Call me throughout the day if I can. <laughs> I answer the phone. I don't want to answer the phone. But most of the time, I answer the phone, check in, text me your food, and your 10 steps the night before. I mean, we do the work, but it's not, it's not a micromanagement at all. It's like four days a week live, and then the other three days a week, catch as catch can. And I, we work through the steps. We're always working. I expect them to have a page of writing, to have done their reading and meditation and prayer. They send me their food. They send me their 10th step. They have to go to three meetings a week because that's what I have to do. So misery loves company. Three meetings a week. We're doing it together, whether we like it or not. And, of course, we love it. And um, I have room for one more sponsor. If you, I have the 540, 540 slots. If you're interested. Adam. Can you describe your, uh, your experience with step eight and nine? Step eight and nine. So the question is, can I express my, uh, explain my experience step eight and nine? Yes. Two things that actually stand out. That's four. Two things that actually stand out. Uh, a couple of, and interestingly enough, with my, with my uh, family, one is my mom and one is my, my dad who passed away. Um, I was really stuck on getting to step nine. I was on step eight, and I was stuck there a long time. And one day I spoke with, I don't know if you know, Gail L. from the Valley. In a meeting, I just expressed that I'm having a hard time because of this man who abused me. And I stole money from him. And I stole money from my brother who also abused me in a different way. 
and um, I would steal money from them. They had their wallet up there, and I would take money from my dad every day, and I would go up to the corner and get him a newspaper when they sold newspapers on the corner, and I would go into the store, and I would get a Cadbury chocolate bar, and I learned that I'd go get the chocolate bar first so that I could be efficient. Thank you. And, um, oh, thank you. So I could be efficient, and I would eat that chocolate bar and get him his paper. So that came like at five, right? Starting at five years old. Steal money, buy chocolate. But, um, and so thinking I should make amends for that. And also my brother had a bicycle route and I would um, steal money from his, from his, I would still change. Well, a quarter was a lot of money back in 1960, but I would steal money and then I would buy candy with that money. So, and I, I felt like I was just stuck at having to, um, make that amends, that having to, to say that and do that in front of them, it was just terrifying to me. And I was just couldn't. And Gail said to me something I hope somebody else hears. We never bow down in front of people who have abused us. We never, never. She said, you figure out how much money that is and you send that to your favorite children's charity. And that's what I did. And that's how I made amends. I acknowledged that I had done that. I did feel bad about that. I wanted to be clean from it. And I wanted to make amends, whatever that looked like. And I did that in that way. And that was it. And then I came to my mom. And um, I'll try and make this really short. I just had to keep digging. Like, I had so many feelings about my mom. And we were at a very strange relationship. Like, I I know that I offended her. I, I, I know now that I offended her and that our relationship was really, you know, kind of, um, odd out a little bit and I, oh my gosh I just dug and dug and dug and dug and dug to get to this taproot of whatever it was I was feeling and I just I named it mother gluttony I could not get enough of my mother I could not get enough of her time and I had been starved I've been I'm obviously these people are abusing me in my own home right doing these really harsh things. My mom was just, I mean, she, she had her reasons. I completely forgive her and understand. But I could not get enough of her love, her attention, her uh, her company, her, I, I, I wanted her so badly. And um, I really had to work through that. And I realized, you know, it took a while. I mean, you know, months. And I realized that um, I manipulated her for money, for things, for tires for my car, for really nice handbags, for shoes, for paying for me to go on a vacation, for travel, for whatever. I manipulated money out of my mom constantly. I borrowed money that I didn't pay back. I stole money from for drugs, you know, when I was earlier. Like, I was a real drain on my mother because I could not get enough and that because of these steps right because of these steps it all and the willingness to work through it and look at it it became very apparent to me and I will never forget the day I said mom I need I I kind of explained to her I wrote her a letter about the mother gluttony and I said um, I want to make amends to you and I said so I but um, so we do like in two dates right I sat across the table from her and I took out, I, got, I think I got like a big bonus at work. I took out an envelope and I said, here's $700 for the tires you bought for my car, which I sold two months later. Here's $500 for the suede boots that you bought me in Chicago. 
here's $300 for the bags that match. Here's the $2,000 that I estimated that I stole from you to put up my nose when I was into speed and cocaine. Here's the money, here's the money, here's the money, $8,000. The money that I hadn't paid back, right? Right. Did I want to spend my money like that? Yes, I did. It was worth it for me to be clean. Guess who's the favorite daughter now? Please. <laughs> Release me from the bondage of self, man. You know what? I try to shine God's light. Oh, the question is, how do I how do I use the steps? How do I work my program at work? Number one, I use my superpowers to shine the light of God when I walk in. I bring lots of baked goods that I don't eat. And they're all like, how do you do that? I'm like, I'm a member of Wolverine Anonymous. Um, that is true. And, and um, more than one person has actually come into, uh, into the rooms because of that. But um, I know what I know. This is, so here's what this program has given me that I use at work more than anything. Confidence. I am the, I am the content expert at my job. Thank you. I know what I know, and I know more than anybody else about this subject, and I'm willing to take it to the map, but sometimes I don't know, and I say, I don't know. Sometimes I make a mistake, and I say, oh, and I try to tell the people who are going to be affected by it before it hits them, right? I, I just try to bring my, all these steps into my workplace and uh, be accountable, have integrity, and love people when they aren't. <laughs> And they are. Just, just try to be a, a, a good woman. I'm a middle-aged woman with an eating disorder. I just try to have a little integrity and be honest and have fun. There. Thank you. Uh-oh.